Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode with Jason Browning and Jordan Christensen of The Draw, also known on Instagram as We Are The Draw. Guys, how you doing? Very good. Thanks for having us, Jay. Real good. You know, um, guys, we've got a March 20th deadline for New Mexico, and you both are, I believe, New Mexico residents and very uh, have a great deal of knowledge in New Mexico uh, with your business, The Draw, and your application service. I uh, want to take just a quick second, if people didn't listen to our uh, podcast that we did when we were, I believe we were breaking down Arizona, uh, if you guys would just give a brief uh, description of yourselves, a background of yourselves, and then we'll dive straight into the New, New Mexico applications and units and such. Perfect, yeah. So um, we live down in Las Cruces, New Mexico. We got the draw started uh, back in September, uh, the 1st of September this past fall. And uh, background for, for me is uh, um, I used to be a taxidermist. I uh, grew up in Utah but then moved here after I came back from overseas and uh, owned a taxidermy studio for about nine years. Did a lot of guiding all over the West, Um in those nine years, and then uh, ended up uh, at Cabela's up in Sydney, Nebraska, as a tags uh, agent up there, and that's really where I cut my teeth on uh, consulting and, and learning a lot more in-depth, uh, detailed processes on how to help guys uh, get tags, and then uh, I'll let Jason tell you a little bit about him. Yeah, Jay, I've been Yeah, for out. sure. Um Jason, before um, you start on that, uh, Jordan, did I hear you were overseas as a service member? Yeah, yeah, I was uh, a Utah National Guard uh, soldier uh, that, uh, interestingly enough, my very first day of basic training was uh, September 11, 2001, and uh, the oh one week goodness. in a month, two weeks a year uh, that I thought I was signing up for ended up being uh, a very different experience, but you know, six years later, um, I was able to kind of culminate that with a, a year overseas um, doing what they trained me to do uh, for all those years. And uh, um, when I got home, I kind of felt like that chapter was over and it was time to write a new one. So I started hunting a lot. Good for you. and Thank you for your service. Um, thank okay, you. Okay, Jason, Jason, give me your spiel. Yeah, so I've been guiding and outfitting in New Mexico for right at 20 years. Um, how I came to be involved with Jordan the Draws, I just like a lot of outfitters, probably yourself, Jay, was always putting in my own hunters, you know, taking care of my own hunters, handling their applications just as kind of a service. And it gets to be quite a daunting task at some point when you're putting in, you know, two, three, four, five hundred hunters. I don't know how many I was putting in in the peak there, but it was a lot. And so... Um, that's how we kind of brainchilded the draw and came up with the idea of creating an application service that's really designed to take care of the hunter, and our main focus is processing applications. Good stuff. Um, it's going to be fun. Let's, let's go ahead and break into New Mexico. Uh, I'll let you guys kind of run with it. From what I understand, I apply for New Mexico, but there's 6% of the tags go to non-residents in the non-outfitted pool. 10% of the tags go to non-residents that put in with an outfitter. Uh, basically, your first three choices are considered for the prime hunts. Obviously, you can put in, I believe, a fourth and fifth choice, but really it's your, your top three. Um, 
and it's a $13 application fee, $65 non-resident license, which I think this year is non-refundable, meaning you have to buy that license. And then I believe you also have to put the fees up front, but this, uh, I'll let you guys go ahead and, and uh, anything that I missed there, uh, go through uh, how New Mexico does their draw. Sure, sure. So uh, real close, um, you know, what uh, uh, the big change this year is definitely that that uh, hunting license and stamps are non-refundable. Um, so, you know, moving into that uh, or staying on that for a second, I think a lot of uh, uh, the general thought process is, is that if we're buying a hunting license anywhere, um, we would want to get the most value out of that by applying for more species. I think that that same rule of thought probably starts to apply for New Mexico, but maybe not quite in the same box, right? We've got to put the money up front. There is no point system. Um, but still, there, there's a, a lot of guys I see simply have been for years applying maybe just for elk in New Mexico. If there ever was a year to maybe step it up and get a little more value, now that that hunting license is required, it's, it's probably a good idea uh, to, to look at some of the other, other options there. Um, it's uh, $24 for a youth uh, instead of the 65. Uh, excuse me. It's uh, $15 for the youth, but then once you put the stamps on it. So same application fee at $13. Um, and once we're past that, then you do have to put the money up front. Uh, the tags break down, like you say, 6% to the non-resident pool. Um, this is guys who want to retain that option of whether they would want to go with an outfitter or not. And then the, the one difference from what you said, Jay, is that that guided pool actually can, anyone can apply for that, non-residents or residents. Um, it's very, very rare uh, that a resident would want to be in that guided pool because his odds or her odds are going to be better uh, in the resident pool, but it, it really is open to anybody. And then 84% of the permits are, are going to the, to the resident pool. Um, different than a, than a few of the states, there's only a couple that are like this. New Mexico does look at all three of your first selections before they go to the next applicant. So all three of those first choices are going to matter. And, uh, you know, how you apply those three choices uh, is very much uh, something that uh, can affect your odds. We want to be looking at uh, not only drawing odds, but number of permits and all those types of things to get the most value out of each of those applications for sure. Um, the fourth and fifth choice, some species don't have a fourth choice, but if it does, typically that's going to be uh, a quadrant of the state. And if there's a leftover permit of any kind, then the state would would grab one of those leftover permits and give it to you as a fourth choice. So that's definitely kind of a buyer beware situation. You would want to be real cautious about selecting a fourth choice because inherently you're, you're picking something that you don't have control over exactly where it's going to be and it's something that most other hunters decided against. And then the fifth choice is going to be a population reduction. Um, I, for one, am I'm kind of a fan of, a, of clicking that fifth choice. And the reason is, is you're going to get a refund if you don't draw your first through your fourth choice. But on that fifth choice, uh, who knows what that population reduction is going to be. Now, more often than not and historically, it's some sort of female 
type of, uh, uh, whether it's a doe antelope or a female ibex or something like that, um, but you would have the option to decline that if you got the phone call. That being said, there's been a few over the years that turn out to be really unique and special. So, I mean, it's not a horrible idea to click that fifth choice if you would like some other option to maybe be presented to you at some point later down the road. Okay. Um, and then talk about the fee structure as far as uh, I believe you can do it all online and you do it on your credit card, but you have to have make sure that you can have you know, quite a large balance on your credit card, correct? Yes, that's right. So when you, uh, when you submit those, uh, any of the non-refundables, your hunting license and your application fee, then per species you're going to be charged up front for the cost of the permit. So, um, you know, looking at sheep, we're at $3,160. Uh, the ibex and the oryx are at $1,610. Um, depending on what you apply for or deer and elk, it, it could be uh, as much as $760 for the elk and as much as $355 for the deer and then $270 for, for the antelope. Um, you know, what that adds up to is really close to $8,000 per, uh, per applicant just to be applied in New Mexico. And, you know, that's something I'd like to call out a little bit, Jay, with one of the products and services that we offer here at The Draw is, you know, New Mexico, and we're going to dive into this a little deeper in a minute, but they have some really fantastic youth opportunities that the hunt code is specifically set up for youth. And really the only species that that doesn't have some youth opportunity wrapped around it is going to be the Barbary Sheep Audad. Everything else has hunt codes specifically set up for it, which tend to be really good. And as hard as it is uh, to draw an elite opportunity, even for the adults, to not take advantage of those better drawing odds for something above average for a youth. Uh, if we can't draw something special for them by the time they er turn 18, uh, it might be a really long wait before something happens. So what we did at the draw is we designed a program called Kids Apply Free. And if we have an adult applying for New Mexico and using our float service, then we will actually put up all of that money for that youth hunter at no cost at all. And so now it's just $24 for the license and stamps and $13 a species, and the, the parent can get their youth hunter uh, involved uh, as, as aggressively as they want. And there is no age limit in New Mexico. As long as the applicant has a hunter's education, then uh, they are legal to apply and, and go hunting in New Mexico. So that Kids Apply Free program, uh, if, if there is one state that it really can help a lot of folks out, um, that, that's a great pro, uh, program that we designed over here. Okay, guys, that's an awesome program that you guys do at the draw for the youth uh, and getting them involved and uh, makes it more cost-effective for the adult to go, go ahead and they just have to buy a $24 license for their youth hunters. Um, talk about the age restrictions in New Mexico. I understand there's no minimum age to apply, but talk about what the age uh, restrictions are actually to hunt. So there are no minimum age restrictions to, to hunt whatsoever in New Mexico. All, all New Mexico Game and Fish requires is that you have a valid hunter safety card, and that could be from your home state, or you can come to New Mexico and take the hunter safety here and get that, and there's no, there's no age. If you're... If you 
uh, we're real liberal about that. If you can't read, they actually read the test to the kids that are under 10 years old. So um, as long as you have a valid hunter's ed card, you're good to go and you can hunt and apply in New Mexico. On the, on okay. the upper end of that, Jay, if you're, as long as you're um, 17 the day the hunt starts, you're still eligible for those youth opportunities. If you turn 18 before the actual first day of the hunt, that would void you out of a youth opportunity. Okay. Um, cover anything else that you think, uh, kind of some preliminary stuff about the draw, and then let's dive into, uh, let's just start going through elk, deer, let's start going through them. Really, that probably kind of uh, covers it. Just recapping, uh, you know, we've got a new uh, rule that the hunting license is uh, non-refundable, the application fees, and then the money up front uh, is how you get in. I mean, the one thing that we we say a lot here, and you'll probably see in some of the, the Go Hunt uh, strategy articles that are about to be released that, that, that Jason and I were able to write just recently is, is uh, nowadays, Jay, equal odds are good odds. I mean, that's, that's the unfortunate reality that we live in in some of these more elite opportunities. And instead of being uh, years behind some sort of point curve, whether it's a youth hunter or someone just getting started or you're looking to kind of expand, um, New Mexico is an aggressive application, but uh, equal odds are good odds. Uh, and if we're looking for above average, at least we're not behind a point curve uh, it, like we are in so many of these other states. A guy can draw the best tag in the state the first year he applies. That's the reality about New Mexico. Yeah, I mean, where it's an equal, when you talk about equal odds, it's you're basically saying there's no bonus points or preference points. You could literally draw three years in a row, um, or you could go seven without drawing. But it seems like people, you know, draw New Mexico tags. Um, it just seems like a, a more of an opportunity state. Um, let's talk about with both of you being uh, New Mexico residents, uh, what, what are our conditions right now and what is your outlook uh, for all of the hunts coming up from a moisture standpoint? So we're a lot like you over in Arizona, Jay. You know, we got beat up pretty bad last year. It was probably the worst year I've seen in a long time. I don't know that I, don't know that I remember a worse year statewide as far as drought and stuff. That being said, I think we're coming out of it up to now, up to this day right now, we're set for a great year in New Mexico. We've got the snow, we've got the early rains, you know, down south where I live in Las Cruces, we don't, they close schools for an inch of snow, but we did get winter rain, which is just as important to us down here. And, you know, the snowpack in the mountains is good. There, It's still snowing. We got some snows in the Gila last week. So I think moisture-wise, we're set to really have a banner year this year. Uh, my personal feeling is that a lot of older age class animals were really small last year, and they were really hurt by that drought, and I think a lot of them got left in the mountains. And I really think that New Mexico could have a banner year this year. All right, let's dive specifically. Uh, let's start with elk. Um, why don't you guys talk about elk, uh, talk about a little bit of the season structures uh, and, and what have you, and some you know highlight some of the units uh, that you want to talk about. Okay, um, so elk, um, we basically have our archery hunts in September. There's an early hunt, which is September 1st to the 14th. There's a late hunt, which is September 15th to the 24th. Um, and then that gets a little bit more complicated as muzzleloader and rifle 
kind of mix in there from the 1st of October all the way through the parts of November. And depending on unit, we have units in New Mexico which are primitive weapon only, so they don't have rifle hunts, but other ones have a mixture of rifle and muzzleloader hunts mixed through there. Um, the, uh, yeah, cow hunts come in after that later in December, and then even past that we have youth-only cow hunts um, for residents only. So that's kind of how the season plays out. Um, units, I, I don't, there's three basic areas for elk. You got the north central part of New Mexico, which is your 40s and your 50s. You have what generally people call the Gila, even though the Gila is a really small portion of it, which is the west side of the state, which is your 15, 16, 17, probably all the way up into 10, 9, 10, 21, all that western stuff. And then kind of the core around the Mescalero Indian Reservation, which is your 30, 34, and 36. So those are kind of the units. Uh, if you want to dive into those more specific, we can, but those are pretty much the core elk. Anything outside of those, you're getting pretty fringy on the elk unit. Yeah, and you guys know how Arizona, you know, you, we've kind of got our top-tier units and then kind of our mid-tier units. Um, from what I understand, um, kind of that 12, 13, you know, 15, 16, that's kind of like the, the top, you know, 17, that's kind of like the top units. Um Kind of go through what you guys see as, you know, some of the top units and then kind of go through what you guys see as, you know, what maybe some would call mid-tier units, if you will. Um, or if you totally disagree with that, you know, give me your spiel on, you know, how those New, how those New Mexico units kind of play out for elk. So it depends on what you're looking for, I guess, Jay. Um, if you're talking trophy quality, yeah, the units you mentioned are going to be the top-tier units. You're going to need to add in 16D and 16A into that list. Um, you know, that's where your lowest drawing odds, that's where typically your higher scoring bulls come from in the state. Um, I don't know that Arizona lends itself as much to trophy, one-off trophies as New Mexico does. I mean, we'll see 370, 380 bulls come out of just about every unit in the state this year, I believe. So um, it's, it's, you know, it's, there's kind of a difference in that as that any unit in New Mexico can produce some giants. But, yeah, those are your top-tier units on the west side of the state, generally agreed. Um, the northern units, most people consider those to be like your higher number. You'll see more bulls. You'll see more elk in a given day. There's a lot higher density of elk, but your trophy quality probably drops off a little bit in the north. Um, also, more hunters up there. It's not quite as limited because there are more elk. You end up with more hunters in the draw and more hunters in the field. And then, you know, 34 and 36 has really come on the last few years, and it, 34 really can rival some of those western units nowadays. There's a a lot of elk, and they're killing some real good elk in 34. So I guess the yeah. 34, 36 would kind of be your mid-tier units if you had to lay it out like that. Guys, talk a little bit about the first season, the you know, the archery season, the 1st through the 14th, and then uh, I believe the 14th through the 25th, or 15th through the 25th, or roughly, 24th. what is it, 15th yeah. through the 24th, yeah. Um, talk a little bit about, you know, on a year like this, a wet year, are you going to see 
Um, you know, typically that first hunt's a little slow. They're not quite rutting as well. But do you think on a good year like this, it actually could even out and make that first hunt really, really good? Man, that's the million-dollar question, right, Jay? Don't you wish you knew the answer to that question? <laughs> yeah, if I'm asking you. <laughs> so I'll give you my personal opinion. I, I, uh, I, I studied biology in college, and um, I believe in a year like last year, I believe a lot of cows, not all, maybe not even a lot, I believe some cows probably didn't cycle due to their body condition. And so I believe those cows will actually – cycle super early this year so my personal opinion with the mid-september full moon and cows that are going to come into estrus really early because they're going to be in great body condition and they're um they didn't cycle last year i think you're going to see screaming bulls on september 1st this year and i think the rut will play off by about the 24th so i think new mexico is really set up to have a rut this year that is dead in the entire bow season. That will be the rut from the 1st to the 24th. What do you think, Jordan? I think so. I think, uh, you know, one of the times we've seen this in years past was probably off the top of my head. It was about six or seven years ago. Now, I don't think it was going to be as dramatic. Um, it won't be as dr It won't have been as dramatic as it has potential to be this year, but, uh, what, once we we get a good moisture year like this and, and everything just is as healthy as it can be, I think that Jason's right on track. I think that there's a few things happening that's creating a perfect storm where where even on normal years, I guess, as far south as we are, that any given cow may not quite be prepared physically to, to have a, a, an extra cycle and go for it. Whereas this year, it's really shaping up that almost every cow will. And you're going to even see some, uh, with all of what's going on, screaming bulls early in the season. And then I think, you know, even if it doesn't hit right on the money where the, the hard rutting activity isn't happening till two weeks in, um, there's going to be enough of those early cows coming in that sometimes that first season really lends itself to having a crack at a bigger bull because he's not with a big harem just yet. And they're out chasing, they're looking, there's just enough scent in the air that they're making a lot of noise. And, and for me personally, I'm kind of a sucker for that September 10th. I think within a day or two of September 10, um, give or take, either side of it, um, has often lended itself to the, uh, the mountain just turning on and things getting moving. And when you can be up there when that, turn happens and those big bulls haven't got with those cows just yet i mean that's a really special few days of of, of elk hunting with a bow because it, it, instead of just satellites and trying to figure that big herd bull out that big herd bull could be the one that turns and just comes hard uh where even a week later he may not be so prone to do that so um it's it's really shaping up to be a fantastic year and kind of what jason said earlier you know so many of the big bulls or the right age class were left on the mountain similar to arizona that you know we should be seeing above average elk coming from everywhere this year um because uh, they're just inherently they're a year older and they should be getting everything they need to kind of manifest to their full genetic potential so it's uh, th that early archery could be in 
in years past, that's always had much stronger drawing odds anyways, Jay. So as far as kind of a strategy goes, um, if getting to New Mexico is, is a high priority, at a minimum, even if you wanted to swing for the fence on some elite permit on your first choice, to not maybe back it up with a second and third that historically have been easier to draw, which even on good units that first season lends itself to that, is, is a stronger application. It's more aggressive. And if there ever was a year uh, to have an elk tag in, in New Mexico, this is really shaping up to be it. Yeah, you know, guys, um, you were talking about the guided versus non-guided. One of the things I'm looking at the Gohan Insider, and let's just take like a unit 34. Um, if you were to go uh, guided on that first archery hunt, it's a 9.3% it's a chance to draw. Uh, there's 20 tags, and there was 428 applicants last year. For the second hunt, it's 5.7% draw odds. 20 tags this year, 513 applicants. If you compare that to uh, non-guided, uh, just going in the non-resident pool there, uh, you've got a 3.9% chance and a 2.4% chance. So it's amazing to me how the guided draw, I mean, in some cases, it's two and a half, three times the draw odds. Um, Talk a little bit about the, you know, the, the, guide, the guided pool and the non-guided pool. Sure. So with the, you know, what it really boils down to is just, uh, you know, uh, it's a program designed by the state to uh, encourage, you know, more more traffic in those outfitters and and uh, uh, help them generate business. Um, you know, it's really a mistake if you know that you're going to go with an, an outfitter um, that that you should be in that guided pool. And so one of the things here at the draw that is makes us a little bit unique too, Jay, that I think is worth bringing up is, is uh, you know, one of the things that kind of flies under the radar is that, you know, if an outfitter is willing to transfer you out from a, a contract that you, you, you are required to be under contract at the time the application is processed. That's what the law is in New Mexico. Well, if, if we lock in with an outfitter uh, because he's the right pick for elk or maybe he's the right pick for deer, but we're applying for a lot other species and or uh, maybe we're, we're interested in maybe trying for a unit 34, but maybe we also want to put a, a unit 16 in our application, the idea that we would be using the same outfitter for each of those selections or that that would be the right pick for uh, the, uh, of an outfitter when you draw, say, an off-the-side the type of application, really it's limiting. It can be limiting. And so when you're working with the draw, being that Jason does have his outfitter's license and, and has the permits required to, to be in all of these different places, what, one of the things that we can do is we re retain that ability to help guys get lined up. And you're not required to use our outfitters, but we can help and be as involved in that as you'd like to be. But you're not married to any one set of things other than you do need to be with an outfitter. And you can retain that ability all the way through the application process working with us and how it, how it all comes together so that you're not married to one because who knows, maybe you put in for sheep or, or Ibex 
and there may be a stronger choice, but for the deer or the elk that you were going to apply for, whoever you maybe first glance, that was the best pick, but may not be for some of the other stuff you're interested. So working with us allows you to retain that ability to go with whoever you would like once the draw process is complete and you're under contract and legal throughout the entire process. Fair enough. Um, guys, let's bounce over to uh, bighorn sheep, both desert and Rockies. Talk a little bit about um, how those draws work and um, the sheep hunting in New Mexico. Sure, sure. So um, with the sheep, this is probably one of the most unique applications uh, in the country when it comes to North American wild sheep, right? Um, and, and a big reason that is, is is because of the quotas that exist in New Mexico. And, and so what happened, oh, it's probably been about four or five years ago now, is that when they, when they pushed the sheep over to being uh, subjective to those quotas, where it's the 84% resident, 10% non-resident, uh, non guided, and then 6% non-resident, there wasn't enough sheep tags per hunt choice to activate those quotas. So uh, New Mexico is really genius in this point where they, they decided, okay, let's group all of them together into one application. And because it's all in one application, now we have enough permits that we can end up with different numbers of tags in each of these different quotas. So what it boils down to is you have two desert bighorns in the non-guided pool, excuse me, two desert bighorns in the guided pool and one in the non-resident pool. And you end up with three in the guided pool for the Rockies and two in the non-resident pool. And so you're, you're going after twice as many permits in the, in the guided pool as you are the non-resident. But overall, you have a very strong application because there is very few other opportunities in the country that when you're applying, you're actually applying for that many sheep chances per application. Now, there's other states that have a lot of options to choose from, and the only other one that's maybe comparable slightly would be Nevada with your five choices in Nevada. But everything else is going to be uh, one sheep tag, maybe two per selection, where this one in the guided pool, you're essentially applying for five, uh, five different sheep tags, or even in the non-resident pool, you're putting in for three. So uh, that, that creates a, a really unique opportunity. And so how it works is you could either pick Desert Bighorn or Rocky Mountain Bighorn as your first choice. Let's say that because inherently drawing a desert bighorn tag is much harder than even a rocky, that more often than not, that becomes a stronger choice as your first choice. Now, you're not losing any odds by choosing that, but most guys are going to be looking for a desert or the best chance at a desert. So you select that species as your first choice, and then underneath that, as you're processing the application, it's going to give you three selections of that species. So you would look for... Uh, any of the three units that are available or three hunt codes to list under that. Now we would pick Rocky Mountain Bighorn as our second choice, and we would list three Rocky units. Now here's a little Jordan theory, uh, and, and this kind of resonates across all species, but especially when it comes to sheep, it's maybe as 
more critical than, than the others. There are a number of hunt codes that when we look across what's available for Rockies or deserts that only have one permit available for that hunt code. And, and if, we're, if we just by happen chance were to pick six of those codes that have only one or two sheep uh, permits available, we're not doing as good as we could. We're not being as aggressive as we could because let's just say the very first applicant that comes out also had a code that had one permit available as his very first choice. Well, immediately, first application out, you're down to five chances. Whereas if we were to look at stacking our application choices with the, the units that have more permits available, uh, it, it, inherently we can apply for what ends up being as many as 20 sheep tags and potentially have a chance, to, depending on how the draw comes out, of keeping our name in the runnings at even 20 or closer to 30 applicants deep into that draw process where finally our name comes out and because we applied for the most that we could using all six of those selections, we, we drew. We, we did it. We, we fa actually drew a permit. So it's, it, if we approach it like that, we look for the more opportunity by increasing the number of permits and not getting so married to a unit per se, then we, we're definitely doing better. Now, if you've got a buddy or a friend or an outfitter that you know has a bead on some special ram or something uh, in their backyard or something or they're familiar with, like of course it makes sense. The youth hunts, for example, there's only one permit in each of the Rocky or the Desert Bighorn uh, youth codes. But to not put your youth hunter in for the youth as the first choice on each of those species, even though it is only one permit, would be a mistake because of the odds wrapped around it. So it's not a perfect equation. But overall, it's, in general, it's a stronger application because it keeps our name in the runnings for a lot longer. Guys, I lost you there for a second, but I think I've got you back. Um, to put you on the spot uh, in New Mexico for desert sheep, uh, give me, give me kind of your top uh, two or three as far as quality, top two or three as far as quality desert sheep, and as, as top maybe two or three uh, rocky um, you know, best rams possible type type scenarios for those units? You know, I would say that it, my pick for the deserts really, Jay, is probably going to be White Sands Missile Range, the, the Unit 19 San Andreas Mountains. Um, historically, it uh, just seems like they, they've been producing really well. I actually was able to guide a hunt out there this last year, actually the last couple years, and just even boots on the ground. Um, the, there's definitely still a very real crack at a 170-plus ram on White Sands um, and, and Unit 19. Um, so either the early or the late hunt uh, there is, is probably the one I would lean to the most. Uh, that being said, there was some really big rams taken on the hatchets this year, and from what we're hearing and kind of uh, on-the-ground stuff, um, either the early or the late on the hatchets, again, uh, has a real high probability of, of a, a 170 plus ram being not out of the question at all and and even this last year I think there was uh, at least one ram over 180 down on the hatchets that was killed um, obviously we don't want to be chasing dead sheep uh, but the genetics are there the age class is there and there's some real up-and-comers in both of these units uh, I, I know for sure I left a ram 
on the cell San Andreas that was easily mid 170s uh, that was uh, his his friend wasn't as lucky as he was but uh, <laughs> uh, there's some real quality sheep you know that's even uh, overall Jay uh, New Mexico kind of using a go hunt term uh, in those strategy articles one of our hidden gems truly is that most of the units uh, for sheep in the state still have a high probability for class four rams. Like if you draw a permit, it's not just a chance to go hunt sheep. You, you really have Quality. something special on your hands. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and so, talk about the Rockies as well. And, sure, and the Rockies, I think, um, you know, the Wheeler Peak and the Latiers are definitely uh, going to hold their own. They've been holding their own for a long time. Um, you know, I think that... Uh, the the one the, the two permits up in the dry Cimarron that's kind of a different situation up there with the private property and a, and it's a six month season and and those rams are really nomadic they're coming back and forth uh, from Colorado up there I think there's a lot uh, of logistics involved in that but if I was picking units based on where some of the best rams are being taken the Wheeler Peak Latiers or, or that dry Cimarron would be uh, very worthwhile to, to be keyed up on. Okay, guys, um, let's hop over to deer uh, and talk about the opportunities in New Mexico for deer. Uh, obviously, you've got mule deer and coos deer both in the state. Uh, I'll let you go from there. Yeah, Jay, we, we actually also have eastern whitetails, and so we actually are one of the four states in the United States where you can actually apply and hunt three different species of deer in New Mexico. Um, so I can kind of tackle each one of those individually if you'd like. So mule deer pretty much cover the entire state. Um, they're top to bottom, 10,000 feet elevation down to the very desert floor. Um, most of your deer gurus will tell you that we have, you know, the Rocky Mountain mule deer and then we have the Sonoran Desert mule deer in New Mexico. Um, at the southern end of the state, our deer are are, they do look like the Sonoran Mexican deer. They're smaller, way smaller bodied. Um, their, their structure is a lot like what you see coming out of Sonora. Um, and then, you know, the further north you go, the more they start to look like the rocky deer. Um, units, uh, the best unit for the desert type deer is unit 27. That's pretty much 26 and 27 are the units that get applied for the most there in the hunting is very good in those units for mule deer. Um, when you when you talk about the the Rocky and why everyone comes to New Mexico, even though New Mexico is not really known for big deer, we do kill quite a few big deer every year. And those deer are going to be centered up in the northwest corner of the state in your unit two, unit five, those type units up there. Um, coos deer are... On the, on the border with you over in Arizona, Jay, you know, we have about five or six units in, in Arizona that, I mean, on the border of Arizona that have our, that hold our coos deer population, and that's going to be 23, 24, 26, 27, 21. Those units are where our coos deer are, and all of them are shoved up against the western border of New Mexico. Um, so we're kind of on the fringe of the core coos deer here, which is in Arizona. But I think we have just as good a hunting in those units as the best units in Arizona. They've been managed a long time for trophy deer, and New Mexico Department of Game and Fish does a pretty good job with the coos deer when it comes down to that. 
And then kind of something that's kind of just evolving in New Mexico now is the whitetails and the eastern whitetails, and that's in the northeast corner of the state, you know, on our, on our Texas-Oklahoma border. And uh, I actually took my son up last year, and we hunted in the northeast corner, and we saw what I was really shocked to see how many whitetails are actually moved into that country out of Texas and Oklahoma. Um, we were hunting on the youth hunt up there, and we probably saw in a six-day hunt, we probably saw 20 whitetail bucks, and we were hunting mule deer. So that um, was pretty neat to see that those whitetails had really got a good, strong foothold up there. Um, Game and Fish has been real aggressive with managing them and welcoming them into our state so that we can we can have them to hunt. And they're actually, for the first year this year, they've set aside some whitetail-only hunting opportunities where you're specifically putting in for a tag that's whitetail-only and those typically have great dates that are centered around the whitetail rut in northeast New Mexico. And that's going to be a unit by 57, 58, 59. I didn't mean to slight the whitetail. Being a cooster fanatic, I, I actually kind of always forget that there are whitetails in New Mexico. It seems like every year you're hearing more and more about them. Um, talk a little bit about, uh, you know, in your opinion, the the, the northwest uh, part of the state and the twos, um, you know, season dates and what have you, are those hunts overrated or, you know, are they truly a, a great hunt? Um, I think I think they're a little overrated. I think my t- my thinking on that is when people come to Unit Two or Five, they think they're coming to the Hickory at a hunt or something similar to the magazine right. articles of the Hickory, and it's right. that's not the reality. Yeah, there's going to be a couple 200 inch bruisers killed every year up there, but your everyday normal hunter, even your good hardcore hunters, they're not going to, they're going to be surprised when they get there and they see the total quality of the mule deer. It's not what most people expect when they get there. Yeah, for sure. Um, Guys, I want to take a quick second here. I want to take a break. I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast. Uh, Talk about the Go Hunt Insider. Uh, Right now, obviously, we're right in the middle of application season. Uh, I, I know Jordan and Jason do a lot with the Go Hunt uh, team and write a lot of the strategy articles uh, for these different states. Uh, in my opinion, they have the best draw odds and harvest statistics of any resource out there. Uh, you can uh, go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott and you're going to get a $50 Go Hunt uh, gear shop gift card just for signing up. Uh, go check them out. That's uh, gohunt.com forward slash jscott. You can also check it out in the show notes. Uh, also, my friend Cody Nelson of 20 plus years is the optics manager there at the gear shop at Go Hunt, and uh, I call him the glassing guru. He is the optics authority. If you have any binocular needs, any optics needs, rifle scopes, uh, spotting scopes, tripods, anything to do with glassing, uh, give Cody a call at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. Uh, he has promised me that he will take care of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners. Make sure you mention me uh, and tell him uh, if he doesn't give you a good deal, I'm going to give him a black eye. Uh, make, sure to, make sure to emphasize the black eye. Uh, and I want to thank Go Hunt for their sponsorship. Kuyu also, kuyu.com, K-U-I-U.com. Kuyu Ultralight Hunting is the gear that I wear on all my hunts. Uh, check them out at kuyu.com. 
uh, Canyon Coolers based right out of Flagstaff, Arizona. If you use the JSCOT19 promo code at CanyonCoolers.com, you're going to get a 10% discount. Uh, Phonescope.com, if you use the JSCOT19 promo code, uh, you're going to get a 10% discount as well. And then Onyx Maps, if you use the JSCOT19 promo code, you're going to actually get a 20% discount. Uh, I'm sure you guys have used Onyx Maps. I love Onyx Maps. Uh, go check them out. Uh, onyxmaps.com, use the JSCOT19 promo code. You're going to get a 20% discount. Guys, they've made a change this year with New Mexico Antelope. Um, talk about the changes with the antelope and um, kind of break that down. Sure, sure. You know, uh, if there ever was a time to call out Onyx, uh, it would be on these changes in, in New Mexico. I think if you're uh, planning on a New Mexico antelope hunt this year and you don't have Onyx, you need to seriously consider investing in that tool because you're going to need it more than more than ever. Um, and really what that, wh why that is, Jay, is because in, in years past now, this changed a few years ago for the youth, the archery, and the, and the mobility impaired hunts, um, and, and now it is, uh, as well as archery, and now it's changed for the adult rifle hunters. And what, it's, what it is is New Mexico has decided to pretty much hand over all of the management uh, of antelope to the private landowners that, that are primarily the big bulk of the, the population of antelope is going to be in the eastern side of the state and even more uh, specifically in the northeastern side of the state. They've just kind of said, listen, we're not going to fight through these landowner permits and we're not going to manage through this any longer. And now over-the-counter permits on private land uh, are statewide. So if we're looking for an antelope hunt, um, you know, buyer beware. There's going to be some Craigslist and eBay uh, fire sales on, on antelope permits this year in New Mexico. And, uh, I mean, it's really going to be hard to say what you're going to get because uh, th there is no limit. It's completely unlimited uh, on private land. So the draw, especially for trophy antelope, is going to be really uh, important moving forward because I think that uh, – uh, outside of some really big ranches that these outfitters have control over and are going to continue managing good and strong populations like they have been, there's going to be a lot of, uh, uh, there's going to be a bit of a massacre this year in New Mexico. So um, when we're looking at our Onyx and we're studying the maps on, on GoHunt.com, uh, uh, we need to be looking specifically towards areas that have a decent number of public land, and, and the filtering 2.0 system calls that out on every single unit in the state. And so it's a great resource. Um, if, as we're applying, the, the big, some of the big things that have changed is, is particularly as well is just the overall season date. So not only do we need to be focused up on, on units that have uh, enough public land that we could go and have a productive hunt in because Many of them up in the northeast corner particularly have very, very little public land, state or federal, uh, up there. And so the, the western side of the state is where, uh, especially if we're planning DIY-type experiences, is where we need to be focused. The, the, the dates have moved what have typically been for a good portion of the state the first weekend in October to now everything is happening in August. So 
they've broken it down into three different weekends in August uh, or three different time frames that the hunts are going to be conducted. The, the archery stuff is going to be August 4th through the 12th this year. Um, and then a lot of the youth opportunities, instead of being at the back end of October like they have been for years, are going to be now August 17th through 19th. That being said, uh, most of the units are also going to have an adult hunt taking place during the youth hunt uh, on that August 17th through 19th. Then they're going to have another group of hunters August 24th through the 26th. And then finally, another group of hunters August 27th through 29th. Now, uh, as a general rule, a lot of these units on whichever is the latest season in the in in each of those units has a few more permits available. And if we're looking at the non-resident pool versus the guided pool versus the resident pool, it's very important to, to realize that that we if you're applying for a unit that or a hunt code that only has say five permits available, um, what's going to happen in, in New Mexico is they're actually going to issue an additional permit for that hunt code. And, and and if anyone applies in the guided or the non-resident pool. Now, they always do the guided pool draw first in New Mexico, so you could have 500 non-residents apply for a hunt code that only has five permits available, and you have one applicant that puts in for the guided pool. That one applicant in the guided pool will always draw. They, they, they will be the one that draws the permit and, and essentially a normal non-resident hunter is going to have a 0% chance of drawing that, that permit. So if you're coming out of state and looking for a DIY option, you need to at least be looking at hunt codes that have 10 or more permits. And if uh, the way that the math works out, if you're going to be pairing up on an application, um, which is only allowed, you can only put in with two people on Antelope in New Mexico, um, you should be, if you're in the non-resident pool, you need to actually be looking for any hunt codes that at least have 30 permits uh, or or you essentially have a 0% chance of drawing in that non-resident pool. So, um, you know, that's that the biggest change I could say is uh, you're no longer assigned to a ranch when you draw an adult rifle permit and uh, be careful on which selections that you're, you're uh, applying for, especially if we're looking up towards the, the stronger populations of antelope in the northeast corner of the state because there are many units up there that have very, very little public land available. And, and what is available may not necessarily even be accessible. Um, if, if you have to cross private land to get to it, uh, it, it might as well be private because uh, you're going to have some sort of trespass fee or something even if that's possible to access that piece of public land. And if it is accessible from some county road or public access, um, you're going to not be alone. There's going to be uh, everybody that has a tag <laughs> will only have those those places. So it, it's very dramatic changes. Um, if you're going with an outfitter or you know that you would go guided anyways, I guess that's kind of a, a silver lining is that uh, there is no drawing odds anymore. Get with your outfitter, talk to him about what uh, hunt you would like to go on or what he's offering, and and uh, you can lock in as easy or easier than maybe you were even with the landowner program that existed in, 
in the past. But uh, for the normal guy looking for an antelope permit, even for residents, uh, I think this is going to fly under the, the radar and there's going to be some surprises, uh, Jay. I think uh, if we're not researching this and looking at where we need to go and particularly keying up in, you know, the 16s, 17s, uh, you know, southwest corner of the state or maybe the southwest quadrant of the state, um, the experience you're going to have while hunting is going to be pretty rough uh, because there's just nowhere to hunt. Don't you think, um, I mean, there's going to be some outfitters that control private land are going to just slaughter some of these ranches where they're just, you know, over the counter and they can get, you know, whatever it is, five grand or whatever an antelope hunt costs. I mean, there, there very well could be some slaughters out there. On the flip side, there could be some outfitters that, uh, you know, really want to control and, and keep the quality up uh, and not look at the business side of it and maybe look at the more long-term approach. There still could be some bucks um, out there that are, you know, good, but I mean, I think it's going to be a slaughter, don't you guys? Yeah, I think so, Jay. I mean, historically, New Mexico, um, you know, any given unit, any given year has the potential to produce an 80-plus inch antelope, I mean, uh, from from all corners. And, and really, our age class is at, at high risk in the highest populations in the state right now. And I don't necessarily even think that the outfitters uh, are going I think inherently an outfitter has a product that he's trying to take care of and he's going to try his best to manage through a tough situation but let's just say he's got a 10,000 acre piece of property that he's operating on or even a 50,000 acre piece of property but he's surrounded on all sides by ranches that uh, inherently don't have enough maybe it's a 2,500 acre property maybe it's 3,000 acres and and that guy has only been issued a couple of permits at best per year uh, in the landowner permit program. Well, now he can get on eBay and Craigslist and he can sell as many of these as he would want. And if he's not a hunter and he's not a conservationist, if he's purely, you know, focused on the amount of grass that's getting eat, eaten, I mean, I've said in some of these meetings, there's some of these folks that truly do not like particularly antelope. They, that same guy may love deer and elk, but they, for some reason, do not like antelope, and they are going to be aggressive about getting as many of them off of their property as they can. And for the first time ever, they, they're going to be 100% legal. To I mean, not only selling them, but they're going to get one for themselves and their brother and their cousin and their sister and everyone's going to have an antelope tag and i think you, you, not only is our age class at risk but just the overall population is uh it's a bit of a scary time particularly in that northwest or northeast corner of the state where i mean even if that antelope crosses a fence it doesn't mean he's safe it doesn't mean that he's out of the pressure uh, anymore he's just out of the out of the pan and into the fire uh, as often as more often than not. Guys, let's um, jump over to the Ibex and the Oryx uh, and the Barbary Sheep. Okay. All right. Sounds good. So Ibex, as you know, Jay, is pretty much confined to the Florida Mountains. Um, there's there's basically archery hunts, one muzzleloader hunt, one rifle hunt, and some youth hunts. And now they've instituted a few of 
the female immature hunts, which is an ibex, a female ibex, or an, a male with horns shorter than 14 inches. There's the it's it's good. The Florida mountains are not in as good a shape as they were. Uh, the the local talk, you know, here I live an hour off the of Floridas, and um, everyone says 40 is the new 50. So because of increased hunting pressure, um, they've they've knocked the oldest ibex down pretty hard to where now you know your your trophy quality is not as good as it was in the heyday of the 2000s um hard to draw really hard to draw um i would stagger your application if you just want to hunt ibex rifle muzzle or bow in that order because that's how the odds are going to play out that's your that's your best chance of drawing the bow hunt is really tough it's a one percent club you know one percent of hunters that actually do it actually get an ibex on that hunt if you want to talk about oryx a little bit we can talk about um there's yeah. several drawing odds for oryx um and some of those kind of everyone wants to come to new mexico and hunt oryx and they don't realize that yeah the missile range is the key main oryx hunt and um when you put in for oryx that's where you need to be applying but the off-range oryx hunts have really gotten good now as that oryx oryx population goes up and down and they manage it with hunting that's what it is there's no natural predators there's nothing so as the oryx population gets up they bring in more hunters and they bring it back down to an acceptable level and that's a cycle and we're in that boom that boom cycle right now which then leads to better off-range hunting because those oryx are starting to go off the range um so I would I would encourage guys to look at those off-range hunts a little bit more than they have in the past. They they are still tough. They're still not on the missile range by a long shot, but they are um, they are doing pretty good. I talked to a fellow that went out hunting this weekend with his daughter, and off the range, just out on BLM land, they saw like 25 oryx in one day, and I, I consider that a pretty good day of oryx hunting. Um, when yeah, you, it sounds like they're like rats. <laughs> well, not quite that bad, but there, there are a lot of them coming off the range. Um, Stallion and Rhodes are still going to be your top two choices on the missile range. That's where you want to apply. Um, they're both equally as good. I mean, you can get in a debate with, um, you can get in a debate with a lot of guides and outfitters and hunters, and they'll definitely have an opinion whether Stallion or Rhodes is a better hunt. But when it comes down to Oryx, cut through the crap, it's all they're both really good. They added two new hunts on the range this year. Um, those are areas that weren't typically hunted other than by um, some special hunting that the missile range does outside of the draw hunts. And I guess time will tell how good those units are are going to be. I still think your roads and stallion are going to be your two best choices. Um, aside about from that, for the out end. Um, let me just go one other thing in Oryx. There's the hunts on McGregor. Those are also really good. Low tag opportunities. I think there's only 25 tags on each hunt, but that is also the McGregor hunts are really good hunt. It, there are high numbers of Oryx on the McGregor range, and the one cool thing about that is it is not a once-in-a-lifetime. So if you've drawn your once-in-a-lifetime, um, you can always still have a great hunt on McGregor, and you don't have to be forced into hunting like a broken horn or an off-range. You can still get an on-range type hunt if you if you've drawn your once in a lifetime. Go into the Audad. So that Audad is kind of like antelope. They've really changed that a lot this year. They um, they broke it into specific shorter hunts. It used to be a long 30-day season, and you picked a group of units 
basically there was two basic hunting areas, 2930 and uh, 32, 34, 36, 37. And then there's a very small contingent of tags on the McGregor range. They took that, used to be February 1st to the 28th, and that they just threw all the hunters out there at that time, and, you know, it was pretty much a free-for-all. Um, what they did now is they've moved into having an October hunt and a December hunt okay. and a January hunt. And so they're, they, it was just getting too crazy, I think. Game of Fish was having some problems because there were so many hunters in the field with 600 hunters in two units, and Odd and Barber Sheep are very... Um, habitat specific, so they're kind of concentrated on certain places, and the hunters were, it was just getting to be a lot of conflict and stuff, and so they tried to spread that out and give hunters a lot better opportunity, and I think it's going to do it. Um, the general knowledge is that October hunt is kind of going to be during the rut. There's still some argument on between people of when all that actually rut, but I think that October hunt will be considered the rut hunt in New Mexico, and that's why it has less tags. Uh, one thing that made me think, and let's jump back real fast just to a question on antelope, by moving those seasons out of October and moving them into August, isn't that going to move the, the antelope hunting right during the rut? I know we're, I know we're on Barbary sheep, but, you know, bounce back to the antelope, moving those dates into August, isn't it actually just prime peak rut? You know, just like anything, Jay, like, the further south you get, it seems like the, the, the later the rut is. And really for the bulk of, uh, of uh, New Mexico, we don't probably see the heavy rut activity until the old dates in, in that first week of, uh, uh, of October. And even, even some rutting activity, I mean, I, we were out uh, this last year, we, we were helping a friend uh, during a youth experience that would have been the last weekend in October this past year and there was no doubt in my mind the buck that we harvested was rutting his guts out still now we're only 40 miles off of the border uh where we were hunting but uh I think that it moved it actually very much out of the rut and and everything will be a month it'll be over a month before we really see much rutting activity at all for the bulk of the state maybe in those very far northern units you're you're going to see some decent rutting activity but for the bulk of the state um we're going to be way in front of when there any rut activity is going to be happening okay and with that being said if it's way in front of the rut aren't we going to just kill a bunch of bucks therefore the does might not be get bred as as much I'm telling you, Jay, you're singing our song. Like, it is pretty <laughs> scary uh, down here. I mean, uh, it, time is really going to tell, and, and, and the, the drawing odds and all of the things are, I mean, if there has ever been a wrench thrown into what has historically taken place, I mean, I think on the youth and the mobility impaired and the archery hunt, I don't think we're going to see as much a volatile change because those have been uh, – no ranch assignments and state and BLM land only uh, opportunities for quite you know, a number of years now. But uh, the big change will be now that these over-the-counter permits, um, it, we stand to lose a lot right now in New Mexico when it comes to antelope hunting. And I think uh, there's enough public land in the southwest corner of the state 
that we're going to probably hold on to, to uh, some of the, the upper age class and we're going to be okay. It's, it's not going to be what it used to be. Um, but, uh, I mean, I was looking at the, as I was writing that go hunt application strategy for antelope, um, I was looking at the proposal and they had a big slideshow and New Mexico's uh, rough on releasing population surveys uh you know that's usually right at your fingertips in a lot of places and it's not so much in in new mexico but at a minimum the slideshow that was presented to the state department and what they were running off of as they designed this new program showed that there was uh that the overall population of antelope in the whole state was uh i want to say it was like 55,000 approximately. Well, 30,000 of those animals were located in the northeast corner of the state. 14,000 of them are in the southeast corner. So we had well over 50% of our total antelope population uh, in, in areas of high private property. And now with this new change, um, you know, time is really going to tell on what's going to happen. And how many of these ranchers have a little bit of conservation built into them versus uh, just uh, an absolute uh, distaste for antelope and, and the competition that they create for the livestock. So, yeah, it's, it's a pretty scary time for antelope hunting, particularly in New Mexico. Yeah, for sure. Um, absolutely. Uh, guys, I've, I've got a couple questions here from... Uh, Instagram followers, I just want to rattle off a couple questions and get off-the-cuff uh, answers from you, if you will. Are you up for it? Yeah. Okay, hang, hang on just a second. Um, what do you think are some of the most underrated and overrated units for deer and elk? Um, I'll, I'll take that one, Jay. Um, let's start with underrated. Um, I'm going to take, a, a, take two ways to answer that question. Um, I think some of the youth opportunities in New Mexico are really underrated. Um, the season dates and the drawing odds for youth are really underrated, and that's one really good place you can get a really high-end hunt um, with good draws and really good trophy quality. Um, if I went to underrated for an adult hunter, I'm going to go with 34. I talked a little bit about 34. Um, earlier and I think that's probably the most underrated um, unit in the state both for numbers and trophy quality um, and there's if a guy's willing to get off the road a half mile or a mile there is some great elk hunting in unit 34 that would definitely be my underrated choice if I had to go overrated I'm gonna have to go with I don't know. That's tough because I think all the ones that are rated at high are high. I'm going to go with there is no overrated unit in the state. Um, those those Gila units and the ones north of the Gila and around there are usually pretty much what the, what they claim they are. If they do come out overrated, I think it's because people have unrealistic expectations about what the units actually are. They're usually pretty true to form, I'd say. Jordan? Yeah, and especially on a year like this, too, with, with great moisture, I mean, Last year, everyone was crying the blues. This year's probably going to be a completely different story, and everyone's probably going to experience pretty dang good elk hunting for sure across most of the state. I think so, Jay, and I think that, you know, one thing to call out, and I, I talk a lot about this when I'm, when I'm working with guys one-on-one, -on -one, is that, you know, 
New Mexico is an opportunity-driven state, and they and they you know you you said it earlier in the in the podcast that um, a lot of people draw New Mexico. I think a lot of that is because. 16% of the tags do go 99% of the time to non-resident hunters. So, so it lends itself to that. I think New Mexico inherently creeps into the conversation with Utah, uh, Arizona, Nevada, as far as like, you know, giant elk. And, and the unfortunate reality is, is that where, you know, even Utah nowadays, in personal opinion, is, is starting to lack a little bit as far as uh, what they used to be in trophy quality, but New Mexico, our our, our best units are going to be 340 to 360 class bulls, uh, pretty consistently. But it is hard for us to have units that are consistently producing 400 inch bulls, like a few of the places in Nevada, a few in Utah, and a few in Arizona. So, um, the the question of overrated you know, is a little subjective. I think, we, like Jason pointed out, like we have to understand that in, in as a whole, New Mexico doesn't seem to produce that absolute giant bull uh, consistently out of anywhere. It's going to produce those bulls every year, but they may not come uh, consistently from the same place over and over. Like when we look at, you know, uh, Unit 23 in, in Arizona or Unit you know, 111 through 115 in, in Nevada and some of these types of places. So, you know, overrated might be that people come to New Mexico and they draw the very best tags in the state looking for it to be a similar experience as the very best tags in Utah, Nevada, or Arizona. And it, it's not quite accurate to come with that type of, uh, of looking for that type of experience. Yeah, makes sense. Here's another question. It says, how is the coos deer hunting in New Mexico in Unit 24? Uh, 24 is good for coos deer hunting, Jay, but it's good if you have time to spend in there and learn it. The deer are very pockety in 24. There's a lot of them, but they're in pockets and in certain areas. They're not spread completely through the unit. So for a guy who's willing to do the research, spend some time scouting, do the trail camera gig, whatever that system he puts in place is 24 is a great unit for coos deer in new mexico and the drawing odds there are lend themselves that a guy could come realistically uh more often than not jay i mean that's probably even piggybacking on what jason said like you can get that tag fairly regularly so uh it it lends itself to kind of a learning curve that you can actually get in and create a home base and find where those pockets are and, and really have a good thing going once you get in and get your feet wet in that unit. Next question uh, comes and it says, what unit in New Mexico is best for coos deer, in you guys' opinion? <laughs> we might disagree. <laughs> yeah. we're, we, uh, Let's hear it. Yeah. You know, so here, here's the thing. Like, uh, the, there's a lot of chatter about the burrows on in Unit 23. Uh, me and Jason always have agreed that that, that chatter's typically unwarranted. Um, the burrows, for whatever reason, has the reputation, but it's not as strong uh, as some of the the forums and 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 things that are out there would lend you know would lead you to believe. Um, overall, I think that. Uh, 27 and 26 and 23, all of those three, 
uh, any given day have the potential to, to produce a 100-plus-inch deer and even into that 120-plus uh, category. 26 is a very uh, difficult to access where you need to go and where you need to be. It's more of a plan on being on a horse, um, you know, and, and getting really deep into those mountains to be successful, but there's some really big deer in there. 27 is more of a, um, you know, there's some huge, huge pieces of private property uh, that you're always having to navigate down in 27, um, kind of uh, calling out Onyx again when we're down in that part of the state. Um, it's, uh, you've got to have your, your Onyx uh, on and watching where you're going, but because of that, it does lend itself to some really big deer. And 23, for a guy that doesn't want to mess with any of that and just wants to go deer hunting, um, there's some really great deer coming out of, of, of 23 uh, right now that, uh, you know, you're not contending with near the amount of private property. that, uh, that So 23 off of the burrows. Okay. Um, question comes in. Each one of you, give me a sleeper elk unit. You know, as far as, uh, yeah, we're going to look at some stuff right right now. I, I'm going to, the sleeper for me, I'm going to say is probably, uh, I think 13 and maybe even more than that. The, the 15, 13, and 17 in the late seasons away from the rut, um, maybe those are the sleepers. I was right? going to say, you're, you were saying 13. I was like, oh, you're really going out on a limb there. But you're talking about the late season is a sleeper. Yeah, I think so, that those late muzzleloader hunts, uh, you know, don't seem to get as much attention. You know, just like anything, the further away from the rut you get, the more it seems like the drawing odds are um, – you know, being that it's a muzzleloader, I think a lot of guys get deterred off of that. Um, I know Jason's kind of, he's got an, another one up his sleeve, but, uh, you know, just looking at odds and, and seeing what's going on in those uh, with with how easy it, or, or easier it is to draw some of that, you know, if, if you're okay with more of a, a, a glassing them up, you know, putting some miles on your boots, um, those can be really fantastic hunts uh and and the drawing odds would lead you to believe that they weren't um jason he's got he's got a little bit more to add to that so I will he was di he was doing some digging while you were talking he yeah was, he, he was, was like the mad scientist thumbing through all of his info so i'm gonna go with two units i'm gonna go for a diy hunter i'm gonna say 30 could be a sleeper um i'm gonna give you some of my personal what i the way i like to hunt i'm not a, I don't have to see 200 elk a day. I need to see one big elk a day. Um, and then 30 lends itself to that. There's not a big population of elk, but there's a lot of public land in 30. And if you can find the elk, you will find quality bulls. The rifle hunt there is the 1st of October. It will be during the rut. The bulls will be screaming. And I'd say that's a sleeper for some guys that don't know. Okay. If, if you want to go on an outfitted hunt, the new unit that has never been in the draw before is unit 47. It's primarily private land, but if you want to go on a, if you want to, and that's a place where you could draw the tag and then find an outfitter because there's several good ones up there. But um, if that may be a sleeper for big bulls is unit 47. Okay, got a question come in from 
T Bertilla Achi on Instagram. 51 and 52 archery elk. I know it's not a top unit. Animal numbers question mark. Can you get into some bugling bulls? Yeah, absolutely. Those uh, those parts of the state uh, probably have a higher density of elk, uh, and um, you know, as far as trophy quality goes, I would probably lend it a little bit. The age class seems to be a little bit better in 51 than it does in 52, um, but they're probably both in the same category. I mean, you, you see a 300-inch bull opening morning in those in those places. Uh, that's a bull you should probably get pretty serious with up in that part of the state, but, um, you know, higher populations, you're going to have a few more hunters on the mountain uh, during those than maybe some of the more southern units, but good, good elk hunting. Maybe not for a guy looking for a, a giant, but, but the overall experience is, is really great up in that part of the state. Okay, I got a question from E.Shoop. It says, are September bow seasons worth putting in for in the southeast units? Unpredictable rut, in quotes. I don't know what he means by so southeast. For, uh, for deer, do we think? I don't know. He's just... Uh, I, I, I don't know. He didn't say deer elk. I'd assume it. Maybe it's elk, and that would be 30, I guess. Or I was thinking deer because of the new September deer hunts. Mm -hmm. that, so we, that was something we didn't cover real well, Jay, was that they, they've done away with uh, the deer uh, being that you could hunt during September or January. Now, across 90% of the state, those you, are, are hunt codes that are specific to either September or January, and and I'm, I'm guessing he's, he's talking about that, and if he is, hopefully. Um, the thing that I would say about that is we're expecting a real high amount of leftover permits in those September archery hunts, and so depending on what the goal is, maybe use those to back up on a third choice uh, uh, to, to make, you know, to really increase your drawing odds, or if you want to really risk it, then just uh, put in you know, for some of the more rut hunts during January and see if you can't snag one on a, on a leftover when it's all said and done. Um, but it's, uh, the, the, those, those September hunts are going to be a new monster for, for New Mexico's. I mean, most of the country has some sort of archery season that's, that's a lot more popular uh, during those early months, and this will be a little bit new for New Mexico because most guys don't even try in years past that time of year they just wait for january and now you're going to have guys that that will be their hunt for the year and it's going to be hot <laughs> bring plenty of water yeah. yeah uh guys you've done a phenomenal job here today as always uh i want to uh give you a chance to let people know uh about the draw about uh what you guys are doing what it takes to sign up uh and or how how to get a hold of you guys uh so they can find out more information Sure. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, um, you know, we're, we're an application service. Uh, we're as involved as guys would like us to be um, in helping uh, to secure an outfitter once they've successfully drawn. You know, um, New Mexico lends itself really well to a program called our float plan, which essentially for a fraction of the cost, uh, we put up the money for you to be able to participate in as much of the different drawing opportunities as there are. Uh, in New Mexico without having to come up with the $8,000-plus. Um, once we get an adult enrolled in that floated program, 
uh, for New Mexico or any other uh, state, then we can do a parallel kind of application. It doesn't have to be an exact mirror image, but uh, we can do that with the, the youth hunters, and we'll put up all that money for, for $0 for them. Um, we also have a program that doesn't require you use our float service, and that's one of the things we're the only company out there that lets our, our users decide how they would like to be taken care of. So um, as far as getting a hold of us, um, uh, our phone number is 575-222-1234. Um, definitely look us up on Instagram at We Are The Draw. Facebook uh, is The Draw, and uh, we're putting a lot of different content on each of those different channels as well as our YouTube channel. And uh, you can reach us, uh, the phone number, I guess even our email address is info at thedraw.com. So, um you know, we have what we call a free hunt plan, Jay, which is really just a call out, hoping guys will give us a call. And if you've got quick questions, whether it's, um, you know, we need to take 30 minutes and dive into some real specific details or whether you just have a one-off question, that's kind of our invitation to please call us and, and use us. Uh, we can we can help get you pointed in the right direction and, and phone calls are free and, and if they're Biting on power bait, uh, we're going to be the first to tell you. We, we really enjoy helping people and, and uh, helping you get pointed in the right direction. There's a lot of twists and turns, not only in New Mexico, but anywhere that requires an application, and we try and keep a bead on it pretty strong. Yeah, with that being said, um, are you guys pretty much covering all the western states? We do, yeah. Any, anywhere that is requiring an application, we process them. Um, you know, some of the ones outside of the West is going to be like the Kentucky, Elk, Pennsylvania, uh, the Moose up in New Hampshire and, and in Maine. Um, so there's really a lot of uh, subtle applications. And then we also help guys with the state raffles as well. Um, you know, those just inherently have more deadlines, more places you need to go and track down. And uh, we make it really simple that uh, you don't have to do any of that legwork. We can just take care of it. And then as far as unit selections and things like that, um, yours and, you know, each person is as involved as they would like to be in, in uh, selecting where they would like to be applied or if you want to cover just what your goals are and kind of what overall you're looking for, we can really help you design a hunt plan that maybe targets some of the more shorter-term goals that are out there as well as maybe putting some stuff in place that uh, uh, is addressing some maybe future opportunities. I think, you know, one of the concepts we talk a lot about down here is that hunting is so progressive, Jay. Um, you know, when I got started, I, you know, opening morning at 14 years old in Utah, I, I shot the first legal buck that I could, and I, I thought, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do better. And then next year, uh, the sun came up, and I shot the first legal buck that I could see, <laughs> and I couldn't help myself, but. <laughs> I've, I've, I've progressed past that, and I think as hunters, we just inherently are always looking for something different, um, and sometimes that's age class, sometimes it's very experience-driven, um, and, and sometimes it's just a new species. So we try and kind of talk each guy that we're working with through um, each of those goals and where, where their mind is at now and maybe even talk about the future so that we can start addressing that because unfortunately nowadays, we're not putting a little legwork in now that when we do hit those different levels of progression, if we haven't done something at that point, it could be a long time before we get to take that next step forward. Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Well, you guys did a phenomenal job. Uh, wish you the best of success.
and I encourage the listeners to reach out to these guys. They're really passionate about what they do, as you can tell. And, uh, yeah, uh, I missed you up at the Western Hunting Expo. Um, I'm sorry I did, but, uh, uh, yeah, maybe I can catch up with you next time for sure. Sounds sure. great. Thanks, Jay. All right, guys, take care. God bless. You too. Bye-bye.